Hi, everyone, and welcome to our first spooky season podcast. I'm V. I'm Burr. And we're your speculative hosts for all things weird, paranormal, and true crime. Today, we're going to be talking about urban legends. <laughs> okay, so did you bring any snacks? I ate a lot. Of, I ate a lot of hot dogs earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have any room for snacks anymore. They're like these all beef, really, really good hot dogs and macaroni salad, and it was delicious. That does sound really good. I just ordered pizza because I was like, well, we've got to record and we need food now because there are people in this house getting hangry and I can't handle it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We get pizza every Friday and it's a wonderful day to look forward to. Always nice to have something to look forward to. Well, today I cracked open um, Wet's Six Brewing IPA. That sounds familiar. That's because it is straight from Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, nice. Is it good? It's it's pretty good for an IPA. I'm trying new things out and I don't know how I feel about it, but that's where we are. So, well, don't forget (laughs) before we get started, follow us on Instagram at the Curse Cafe and Twitter at the Curse Cafe. Well, no, wrong. Twitter at Curse Cafe Pod. No, the. Oh, man. So today we are talking about urban legends and an urban legend is a, well, contemporary legend, which falls under like folklore, compromising of stories circulated as true, especially as happening to like a friend of a friend or family member with often horrifying and or humorous elements. So I'm only going to do one story today and I don't. I feel like for me, I've heard this before. I don't, I don't know if you have, but it's called the green man, AKA Charlie, no face. I haven't heard of it. Even despite that huge gas, (laughs) I've heard of it very, very briefly when I was looking up my favorite urban legends and I was like, this sounds familiar for some reason. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I stumbled across this to begin with, but I actually researched this a couple years back. And then when we decided to do Urban Legends, it it popped back up. So I was like, okay, well, I've got to do this. So the story starts off in Pennsylvania, that if you drive along a long, dark road, Route uh, 351, or really any of the roads in that particular area in the middle of the night, there's a chance that you'll encounter a pale, grotesque, faceless creature stumbling along the side of the road. But is it a ghost? A cryptid? Should you stop? Does this creature need help? No, he probably just needs a beer. (laughs) This urban legend is more true than not and goes back almost 100 years. Uh, well, actually, at this point, more than 100 years. In August of 1919, an eight-year-old boy named Ray Robinson was walking down the road with his sister and a few of their friends, and they spotted a bird's nest up in a tree next to a abandoned trolley trestle. So Ray decided that he wanted to get a closer look of the bird's nest. So he did what a lot of kids, like young kids do, which climb trees. Yeah. So. He climbed up the tree, and when he was reaching for it, he accidentally grabbed onto a power line for oh my God. the 
yeah, for the, the abandoned Charlie Trussell. And when he grabbed it, it actually blew his hand like clean off of his body and part of his arm. Like it just exploded. Jeez. And it threw him back off of the tree and it actually burned off his lips, nose, and both of his eyes. So he was permanently disfigured and blinded, but somehow he survived. And actually, this is the same power line that a kid a year prior to this happening had actually grabbed the exact same power line and ultimately was killed by it. Oh, my God. What is going on? Is this like way too within reach? Uh, It's called 1919. (laughs) What is going on? His road to recovery recovery was extremely brutal and painful. Uh, He had to learn how to walk, eat basically live again but during that time period there wasn't really any physical therapist or specialty rehabilitation services or anything like that so once he was released from the hospital he basically got sent home with his parents to figure it out all out and you know he was he had to remove himself from society like completely because of how awful the whole situation was and even his parents and his sisters didn't really want much to do with him they still loved him but they didn't really want to be around him so basically they moved him into a room where he had his own bathroom and you know bed and everything to kind of live a life of solitude and they would bring him food but he would always have to eat by himself that is awful yeah, it's really terrible. Not only are you trying to navigate something that would be incredibly hard to navigate even in modern times, is but you're shunned by even your own family. I can't even imagine. I mean, especially at eight years old, he's he's being forced to figure yeah. this all out by himself. So he taught himself how to read Braille, and he also loved baseball and would listen to every game that he could pick up on his radio. And he spent most of his waking hours alone. He ate all of his meals alone and he didn't really have much human contact. But when he became an adult, his parents knew that he couldn't really take care of himself. So they turned the garage in the back of their house into a little apartment for them. So that afforded him a little bit of freedom and privacy while it still allowed his parents to care for his basic needs. But He desperately wanted to go outside and interact with people, but he knew that people were really afraid of him. So in the 1960s, he began to take long walks in the middle of the night and people driving around at night would occasionally catch a glimpse of Ray's severely disfigured form in their headlights while he was out on all of these little walks around the neighborhood and down the street. And that began the legend of No Face Charlie. Now, once people kind of found out about this terrifying figure walking around in the middle of the night, some people would actually get in their cars and try to go find him because it's an urban legend. And that's what you do. You go out on these little thrill rides trying to find something terrifying. So a couple of people actually would stop and talk and ultimately befriend him. They found out the best way to befriend him was to bring him a beer and sit and talk with him, especially about baseball. People recalled that he was extremely kind, caring, and soft-spoken. And 
he took his walks at night because he didn't want to cause any panic in the Aww. town during the day. But there were a lot of people, I'm not going to say a lot of people, I don't have exact numbers on this, but there were, were a few people that were incredibly, incredibly cruel to him. One person actually urinated into a beer bottle before giving it to Ray. Oh, so from God. that point on, he never drank out of a bottle that he did not personally open. Another person took Ray out into the middle of the woods before attacking him and leaving him there to find his way home. Now, keep in mind, he is completely blind. So the idea of basically being driven around and then beat up and dropped off in the middle of nowhere, you could drop him off like in the middle of downtown or in the middle of the woods and it would be incredibly difficult to find his way around anywhere. That particular incident was uh, a cause for what was rumored for him to start carrying a gun around in his waistband. He was still very trusting with people and still wanted to talk to people and have interactions, but he was a little bit more skittish after that point. And even though, you know, for me, being a person that is able to see, you know, for the most part, I do have to wear glasses. I have almost been hit by so many cars because <laughs> I don't know. I just apparently have like a car magnet on me, but he was actually hit several times by cars and that still did not oh deter him gosh. from taking his nightly walks. And he actually continued to do his walks and talk with people in the middle of the night and even take photographs with them. Um, up until he was in his 70s and eventually he moved into a retirement community when he was no longer able to care for himself and he passed away in 1985 at the age of 74. Wow so he got to live a full life. Yeah especially for somebody that had to had a go really bad everything start. that he went through. It's really impressive that he made it to 74 but he made a lot of friends and scared a lot of people. Well, not so much on on purpose, but <laughs> Charlie, gosh, that's just horrifically sad in a lot of ways. Yeah, and they don't really know why they called him Charlie. I mean, everybody knew his name, but I guess that No Face Charlie just had a nice ring to it. Well, I think isn't that just kind of a name they used to call people? Like, I don't know how to explain it. Just as um, like a commonly used general name, like good luck, Charlie, or yeah, good luck, that's, Chuck. That's or a whatever. real possibility. Yeah. Gosh, this is really interesting. I really would have enjoyed meeting him because that sounds like he'd be a very interesting person to have yeah. a conversation with. And so kind. And I, I mean, always thinking of other people, even when they didn't have his best interests at heart. Yeah. So what do you have? Mine is a little bit more sinister. Oh dear. (laughs) Not that, not that anyone started this urban legend thinking that it would go the way it would go. Um, But my first urban legend that I have of two is Slenderman. And I guess I'll start with Slenderman's origin stories because it's been, um, it's been many, many years since Slenderman first came on the scene. He was created in June, June 2009 
on a thread in the something awful internet forum. And it was a Photoshop contest where the users were challenged to create paranormal images. And Eric Knudsen, under the pseudonym Victor Surge, he put up two black and white images of children, and he added a tall, thin, spectral figure wearing a black suit to them. So they're real pictures of children, but he added Slenderman in. And so all the other entries were purely photographs, but Serge, he actually submitted his submissions with little like captions to them, which made them extra creepy. And so the caption under the first one was, we didn't want to go, we didn't want to kill them, but it's persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. 1983, photographer unknown, presumed dead. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> so <laughs> creepy even thinking about it. And the quote under the second photograph read, one of two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day which 14 children vanished and for what is referred to as the Slenderman, deformities cited as film defects by officials. Fire at library occurred one week after, actual photograph confiscated as evidence. 1986, photographer Mary Thomas, missing since June 13th, 1986. And so that kind of pushed him over the top. I mean, the pictures were good, but that was extra creepy. Yeah, it's always fun when they actually have kind of backstories to go with the creepy photos instead of just, here's a photograph. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, like he knew how to market. It was really, really weird. And so Eric Newsom was inspired to create the Slenderman primarily by a bunch of different inspirations, um, including Zach Parsons' That Insidious Beast, Stephen King's The Mist, reports that people have made about shadow people, Mothman, and the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. Um, some of the other inspirations were from characters like The Tall Man, um, H.P. Lovecraft, and surrealist work, and even Silent Hill and Resident Evil games. So that was like a lot of things to put together to come up with this one concept. And his intention was to formulate something whose motivations can barely be comprehended and which cause unease and terror in a general population, which I feel like that kind of embodies Slenderman. Like you honestly have no idea of what Slenderman wants to this day, but it's creepy as hell <laughs> and you're terrified, <laughs> but you want to know. I want to and know, but I don't want to know. I know. I couldn't. I remember when this first came out. I'm a very gullible person, as people will soon find out the more you listen <laughs> to these podcasts. And I thought Slenderman was real. And I couldn't understand the motivation. I was like, so people have really seen this thing and why and what? And me trying to piece it together as if it were real was really sad. I also thought Paranormal Activity was a real movie. I mean, like a real thing that happened to people. I cried. Okay, I tell you what, like the first time that we watched that movie, it totally freaked me out. Like it got me and I <laughs> could not think for like a couple of days. But then after I started thinking about it, I was like, there's no way because if that were the truth. We saw it in movie theaters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How could this be evidence? <laughs> 
I thought about that later and I was like, seriously? And they that would have been on every news outlet if it were true. <laughs> edited movie footage to the public. Yeah. It's tr- oh my gosh. But nonetheless, my naivete persists and I probably will continue to believe really ridiculous things, but it makes life exciting. So a description of Slenderman is he's most commonly described as very tall and thin with unnaturally long tentacle-like arms and sometimes just tentacles, um, which he can extend to intimidate or capture prey. And in most stories, his face is white and featureless, but occasionally his face appears differently to anyone who sees it. He appears to be wearing a dark suit and tie, and he's often associated with the forest or abandoned locations and has the ability to teleport. So all of our Minecraft lovers know about (laughs) Enderman. Enderman. So proximity, this is something I actually didn't know. Proximity to Slenderman is often said to trigger a slender sickness, which is a rapid onset of paranoia, nightmares, and delusions accompanied by nosebleeds. And early stories featured him targeting children or young adults, and some featured young adults driven insane or to act on his behalf, while others did not. Others claimed that investigating Slenderman will draw his attention. The web series Marvel Hornets established the idea of proxies, which are humans that fall under Slenderman's influence. And we'll talk more about that later, because that became kind of a dangerous Um, idea for people to have and so thusly Slenderman became a viral sensation there were tons and tons of work of fan art cosplay and online fiction um, particularly creepypastas that were written and Slenderman became the subject of tons and tons of stories by multiple authors they had different backgrounds different ideas of what Slenderman would do It was something that was very much based in fun and creativity at first until the Waukesha stabbings. So on May 31st, 2014, two 12-year-old girls in Waukesha, Wisconsin, held down and stabbed a 12-year-old classmate 19 times. When questioned later by authorities, they reportedly claimed that they wished to commit a murder as a first step to becoming proxies for the Slenderman, having read about it, of course, online. They also stated that they were afraid that Slenderman would kill their families if they did not commit the murder. Now, after the perpetrators left the scene, the victim actually crawled out of the road to a ro- out of the woods to a roadway, and a passing cyclist alerted authorities and the victim survived the attack. Both attackers have been diagnosed with mental illnesses, but they have also been charged as adults and are each facing up to 65 years in prison. One of the girls said that Slenderman watches her and can read minds and can teleport. It's really hard to know when people are truly, I mean, you have to be like nuts to hurt another person like that, but like, are you truly suffering from a, like a long-term mental illness or was that a temporary insanity? I think it's really, really hard to determine that, especially when they're only 12 because 12 year old girls are scary as hell, like anyway. Yeah. So they have barely any empathy ingrained in them yet. 
and not a lot of context for how the world works still. One of them even said that she had talked with Lord Voldemort and one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so it's hard to know if they were coached to say these things because they were facing so much jail time or if they actually were mentally unwell. Um, or to if the they were still... Where- 12 year old girls like still playing with toys and so like yes let's use our imagination to have these conversations I don't know I don't know if that's if like 12 year old girls are still doing that it's like, hard it's, to say it's, it's the world of Instagram and Twitter what 12 year old 12 year old girls are actually doing nowadays I don't know any 12 year olds this is really hard <laughs> Uh, not something I would think they would be doing, but yeah, they went back and forth on whether they were competent to stand trial. Uh, in August 2015, the presiding judge ruled that the girls would be trialed as adults and they were tried separately. And on August 21st, 2017, one of the girls, now 15, pled guilty to being a party to attempted second degree homicide, but claimed that she was not responsible for her actions on grounds of insanity. Although prosecutors alleged that she knew what she was doing was wrong, the jury determined that she was mentally ill during the attack. So it's like we said, it's really, I mean, you think you would have to be mentally ill to do something like this, but there's parameters. So she will spend at least three years in a mental hospital. And on December 21st, the circuit uh, court judge, Michael Boren, sentenced the second girl to be hospitalized for 25 years from the date of the crime, which would keep her institutionalized until age 37. It's just wild to me. It's sad for everybody involved. And it really is. I hate the idea of putting a child away for an extended period of time, but I don't know if they like reevaluate them every so often to see if they still need to be in wherever they're at, whether it be like hospitalization, a mental institution, jail or whatever, but like sending a kid to jail for life or something that they did as a child seems a little bit extreme, but I kind of understand if they are a danger to themselves and others, then maybe they can't be reintegrated back into society. Yeah. I mean, the thought is always, what if they do it again? And what are the chances that they'll do something like this again. So it's just super sad. I'm glad the victim survived, but uh, Slenderman has been officially inducted into folklore, internet folklore anyway. Several scholars have argued that despite being a fictional work with an identifiable origin point, Slenderman represents a form of digital folklore. They argue that the Slenderman exemplifies the similarities between traditional folklore and the open source ethos of the internet, and that unlike those of traditional monsters like vampires and werewolves, the fact that the Slenderman's mythos can be trapped and signposted offers a powerful insight into how myth and folklore form. And so I, I like that. It's very validating <laughs> to know that we can create our own folklore and introduce it to the world. Uh, forever for better or worse I definitely don't think it is the fault of the author or of the fact that Slenderman exists 
that someone got hurt. Those are choices that were made. Do you think that he feels bad like the lady that created the gender reveal parties? She's like, <laughs> I released this onto the world and now I feel awful about it. Has anybody asked him this? I don't know what Eric is doing and and how he feels. I couldn't imagine because on one hand, it could be very overwhelming. The fact that he's introduced something into our world that is likely never going to disappear. But on the other hand, he could be emotionally distant enough from it to be like, look, I put two pictures on the internet. (laughs) This is not my fault. (laughs) That would be me. I'd be like, you know, I hate that this has happened, but I think my contribution has been minimal. I'm just the idea, man, man. Don't no, blame the delicate genius. And if I would, that poor girl that got attacked, like, I don't think I would ever make another friend again. I know. And there's so much more to that story. I just gave like the briefest of overviews. Um, I'm trying to think there was a movie I don't know if there was a movie made of the true crime event, but there was there were movies made about Slenderman and all kinds of different things, like actual real movies that I'm sure people have heard of. Uh, one of them in particular was just called Slenderman. That was probably one of the worst movies I've ever subjected <laughs> myself to, to be honest. I don't remember it. I know I've seen it because I couldn't let that pass. Yeah, we up. went and saw it together at the oh. tavern. Gosh, I could not tell what was going on most of the time because the movie is just like a black screen most of the time. I seriously thought that like the projector was broken or something. So I had no idea what was happening. I hate it when movies are dark like that. There's like no contrast at all. <laughs> no, I don't Did you ever play that. the Slender Man uh, video game? I didn't, but I do know about it. It's made a resurgence, I think. I keep meaning to download it because I have not played it either. It's been on my list of things to play, but my list is real long right now. So it's somewhere probably towards the bottom of the list. So what else do you have? I'm terrified. I don't don't like where this is going. Well, Slenderman (laughs) was my big one. Um, The second one is the elevator game. And this one gained popularity back when internet games that got you killed were just becoming really popular. Like if you do, if you turn around three times and then blink and then bend over and put your head between your knees, you'll die. Or (laughs) if you do two backflips, do a front flip and then jump on a trampoline, you'll see hell. Like, I mean, both of these things you've mentioned, I, I'm pretty sure that if I do either one of those, I will die and go to hell. So <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of things where I was like, if it was this easy to kill people, we'd just all be dead. <laughs> we would have accidentally done one of these things a long time ago, but it's in the vein of Bloody Mary and games uh, of that nature, like a ritual game. And this one originated in Korea and South Korea, of course. And it's said to give the player access to another world. So I'm going to explain how to play it. 
and then we're going to play. Just kidding. We don't have an elevator, but we should do this the next time we have an elevator. Oh, man. I was thinking about that when I was at the hotel the other night. I was like, okay, how many stories does this need to be? This is all creaky hotel. It has to be at least 10 floors. Well, that would have been perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So starting with rule number one, you have to find a building with at least 10 floors. Number two, make sure to be alone and that no one else joins you in the elevator throughout this process. Otherwise, you must start over. So that would be hard. You'd have to be playing in the elevator at like midnight or something. Number three, press the button to get to the fourth floor. Don't get out. Then go to the second floor, the sixth floor, the second floor, and the tenth floor. Do not get out on any of these floors. Number four, go to the fifth floor. There, a young woman could come into the elevator with you. Do not speak or look at her, even though she may look familiar. Number five, press the first floor. Six, if you press to go to the first floor, but the elevator goes to the 10th floor, remain on the elevator. You're still in the game. Seven, if you press to go to the first floor, but the elevator goes to the first floor, then exit the moment the doors open. Do not speak or look back. Eight. Once you reach the 10th floor, you can choose to get off or stay. If you choose to get off, the woman from step four may ask you a question and even call your name. Do not answer her. Nine, now you have reached the other world. To know for sure you are, the sign is that you are the only one there. Then there's rules on how to return. There's no description of what the other world is like either. I couldn't find that anywhere. How to return. One, return to the exact elevator you came from and press the second, the same order of buttons mentioned before, finishing at the fifth floor. Two, once you're at the fifth floor, press the button for the first floor. However, this will cause the elevator to go to the 10th floor. So you must press any other floor button to stop it from going to the 10th floor before reaching there. Three, once you're on the first floor, make sure everything around you is all right. If something is not normal, remain in the elevator and repeat step two. Whoever came up with these rules is a genius because I didn't understand any of it. It's just like so much back and forth that you don't know. (laughs) You don't even know if you're doing it right. My question is, okay, so you get to one point uh, and a lady is supposed to walk onto the elevator with you. And it's like, do not look at her. Number one, if you're not supposed to look at her. How do you know it was a lady? Don't look yeah. at her. Don't look at her. Don't look back. I don't know. It's weird. Except for in I- your periphery. I'm not sure. And it, it freaks me out. I think the most to have someone in an elevator with me who I'm not supposed to look at or talk to whatever that's what happens every time I get into an elevator I'm like don't look at me don't talk to me really it's just me in the elevator in this elevator game (laughs) our my our my professor that I had at some class in college I don't remember what it was called asked us to do this I don't remember what it was called it was like a really weird test to get into an elevator instead of looking forward towards the doors turn around and look towards all the people instead and see how uncomfortable it makes them I had to do that same thing for my sociology class maybe that's what it was it was really weird I was probably the most uncomfortable of everyone same (laughs) 
And so there's a really, well, it's not, we don't know for sure if it's an example, but uh, Elisa Lamb, who is known nationwide and probably globally too at this point, her story went viral a long time ago and many people speculated that she was playing the elevator game. And to give a little background about Elisa, she was 21 and was a college student at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And she headed on a West Coast trip alone in January of 2013 via train from San Diego to Santa Cruz, California. Now she made a pit stop in LA and decided to check into the Cecil Hotel, which I think people talk about the Cecil Hotel a lot, like it's this glamorous place. It's not at all. Like, I think the Cecil Hotel is actually in a really bad part of town and it's really run down and it's like a home for drug addicts and prostitution. And she just happened to check into it. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what I've heard natives say. I believe that it's like across the street from a homeless encampment that is like fenced off um, directly across the street from the hotel. And everybody says that the biggest issue is like when you book through one of those websites that is like name your own price or whatever, like it doesn't tell you what the hotel name is. So you can end up booking someplace in a not very desirable area and not know it until you know, you pay for it and get your confirmation and everything. And once you do all that, then there's like no refunds or something. Well, she was due to check out January 31st, but she never did. Her family was really worried about her being alone. Um, She did have some mental illness that caused them reason to be concerned about her being so far away. And they decided to call the LAPD when they didn't hear about her, hear from her. And cops searched the hotel, but they couldn't find her anywhere on the premises. And so they decided to review surveillance footage. And that's when they discovered that Elisa Lam had stepped into an elevator on the day of her disappearance. And in the footage, you can see her acting really strangely as she steps into the elevator and she presses like every single button on the panel and steps out and pokes her head out to see if there's anyone in the hallway. She does that a full, a few times until she decides to walk out of the elevator completely. And the last video of her shows her standing by the left side of the door, waving her hands and making these really random gestures as if she's trying to feel something in front of her. And she's not seen talking to anyone. And so they don't think that there's someone outside of the view of the camera that was speaking to her. It looked like she was interacting with something unseen. And so the video was released on the internet and it got, it's got millions of views at this point. At the time of this, it was tens of thousands and everyone found her behavior very, very strange. And that's when the elevator game theory started to arise that maybe she was playing that game because of the amount of buttons that she had pushed and her looking around at the floor that she was on. And so they never found her while they were looking for her, 
and time went on. And as they were trying to figure out what happened to Elisa, guests at the hotel started complaining about low water pressure. And some even said that the water was black and had a really weird taste, which I'm like, if it was black, why were you drinking it? You know, when I was at the hotel this week, this weekend, um, it was an older historic hotel. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna hop in the shower before we go do what we need to do this evening. And as I'm turning on the water and the water is like pulsating, I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. No. Like, I know it's a, an older hotel, but I'm is terrified. <laughs> I was like, if this water comes out any color that, like, any color at all, I am calling the cops. <laughs> I'm not going to call the front desk. <laughs> no, because the front desk is not helpful <laughs> in these situations. What I have learned from this Elisa Lamb uh, incident. I would, I would call the police and have them up there immediately. <laughs> it's just my shower thoughts. <laughs> Continue. I'm sorry. So on the morning of February 19th, um, San Diego, Santiago Lopez, a hotel maintenance worker found Lamb's body in one of the thousand gallon tanks located on the roof, providing water to guests, a kitchen and a coffee shop. Through the open hatch, he saw a lamb lying face up in the water, and so they drained the tank and cut it open since its maintenance hatch was too small to accommodate equipment needed to remove lamb's body. On February 21st, the L.A. coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor. The coroner's full report, which was released in June, said the lamb's body had been found naked. Clothing similar to what she was wearing in the elevator video was found floating in the water, coated with sand-like particulate. Her watch and room key were also found with her. Lamb's body was moderately decomposed and bloated, mostly green with some marbling evident on the abdomen and skin separation was evident because we... I say we all know, maybe we're just weird and we know that bodies decompose faster in water. There was no LA heat. Oh my God. That's an awful thought. There was no evidence of physical trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. Toxicology tests showed traces consistent with prescription medication found among her belongings plus some non-prescription drugs like ibuprofen. She had like a really, really small quantity of alcohol in her system, but nothing else. And nothing about the prescription drugs she took indicated that they would have had an effect on her um, to cause her drowning. Actually, they think that she was under-medicated or had stopped taking her medications altogether recently. And so the investigation had determined how Lamb died, but it did not offer an explanation on how she even got into this tank in the first place. And this is the weirdest part, I think. The doors and the stairs that access the hotel's roof are locked. Only staff have the passcodes and keys, and any attempt to force them open would have triggered an alarm. The hotel's fire escape could have allowed her to bypass those security measures, but her central was lost near a window that connected to it. 
A video posted to the internet after Lamb's death showed that the hotel's roof was easily accessible via the fire escape and that two lids of the, the water tanks were open. Apart from the question of how she got to the roof, others have asked if she could have gotten into the tank by herself. All the tanks were four by eight foot cylinders propped up on concrete blocks and there was no access to them. Like there were no ladders affixed to the outside of the tanks and the hotel workers had to use a ladder to look into the water. The hotel employee who found the body said the lid was open at the time, removing the issue of how she would have closed the lid from inside. I swear <laughs> I thought they said that they found it with the lid on and they're like how did she get in there and close the lid it's way too heavy well i have thoughts about that are you ready i am so i'm wondering if at some point there was a maintenance worker that had propped a ladder up against the water tank to do some type of maintenance went smoked cigarette something like that and then you know walked away left that ladder up there and then she climbed up in there and they didn't notice, but yeah. they're like, oh, well, I'm done, whatever. And climbed up the ladder, closed it without looking at it and just walked away with the ladder. Or, you know, they didn't close the lid. They just took the ladder with them, like either way. And personally, I know from people that have worked and currently work for hotels, um, a lot of the time when there's like no access areas, that's where people go to hang out. Like the workers go to hang out to smoke, have yeah. their little drink breaks or whatever. So the thought of, oh, well, this is only like accessible by an employee. That's bullshit because they find ways to prop the doors open with bricks and other random things, mats, you yeah. know? So to say that it's inaccessible is just that is more bullshit than anything in this story. <laughs> <laughs> and so our theory is, is that she could have used the fire escape or she could have used a propped open door to get in and possibly a ladder or something that had been left and then grabbed later by an employee without realizing that someone had fallen into the tank. Yeah, they're probably like, oops, I left this up here. This needs to be put back where it Because no one's going to say that they did that. No. <laughs> now they found a dead body in LA. Like no one's going to say that to the LAPD. Like sure. No, they're absolutely not going to be like I left something up there accidentally or I was too tired to move it after I was done doing my maintenance. So I was like I'll just get it later. Nobody's going to come up here. <laughs> just that that one time. It's all it takes. There were some other theories that arose pertaining to the elevator video too. Some argued that she was attempting to hide from a pursuer and maybe that's why she was looking around the corner and hiding in the elevator and pressing all the buttons. Um, I think that a lot of her behavior wasn't consistent with someone running from someone. I don't think if you're running from someone, you're going to slow yourself down by pressing every button in the elevator. I think you're going to press the door close button if you door use an elevator. Door close button does nothing. <laughs> And then in that one hotel. That's just a feel good button. You press it and you feel like you've done something. It does nothing. <laughs> the first ever elevator that I've used to actually have a working door close button was in Myrtle Beach. That thing was responsive. 
And I used it frequently because I didn't want to get on the elevator with anybody else because of COVID. And so I would see people coming and I would be pressing the button and that thing snapped shut. And I was like, oh no, it's too bad. Oh no, too late. I don't know that I would get on an elevator if I was running from someone, period. I think that that would just slow you down if that was the case. I would try to find a place with lots of people. That's just me, though. I'm sure everybody is different. But if you're listening and you ever get in that situation, try to avoid elevators. It's probably not going to be good to slow yourself down in that way. I mean, elevators are terrifying anyway. Like whenever people like hold out their arm to stop the elevator door from closing or whatever, I'm like, no, sir, you let that door close because I have seen people get cut in half. There is no way that I am sticking any part of my body outside of the store. Because they were all to stop it. <laughs> made in like 1970 and so and we just keep repairing them to continue working. I don't trust an elevator for anything. Some oh, no. think that the elevator for that same reason, like it's an old elevator that maybe it was malfunctioning and that's why she pushed all the buttons because she was just frustrated that it wasn't moving at all. Because it was weird. The elevator doors, from what I remember of the video they didn't even attempt to close any of that time that she was like hanging out in the elevator, pressing different buttons and looking around. And it wasn't like they started closing and then opened when she went through them. It was just, they didn't close for a very long time. And then they finally did at the end of the video. And some people thought that she was under the influence of illicit drugs and they're not convinced with the, admission that she had no drugs in her system from the toxicology toxicology screen Um, they suggest that they might have been broken down during the period of time her body decomposed in the tank or that she might have taken rare cocktails that they didn't test for yeah that was my biggest question with that is that uh, they might you know regularly test for the major drugs marijuana cocaine heroin all that kind of stuff but I don't know if they're testing for like peyote or you know some Native American medicinal use sort of situation like Um, if she took some sort of hallucinogen that they don't regularly test for because I know there's like a drug panel that they test for but not necessarily everything because there's a lot of stuff out there and a lot of synthetic stuff that I'm I guarantee they don't even know anything about yet so and the last theory was that they thought that she might have been under medicating and that she might have even stopped taking her medication for bipolar disorder altogether which might have led to a psychotic episode which They didn't think that she killed herself. So I wonder what kind of psychotic episode they're thinking happened. I was trying to like imagine what that would be like. Well, from personal experience, um, I was taking quite a bit of medication for a while and I decided to wean off of it. And there were times where like, well, I was weaning myself off of this medication that I, I can tell that I was having a break with reality. Like we were driving down the road and I was like, 
why are the cars driving backwards sort of situation like yeah there's no way that all of the cars in the city were driving backwards but in my head at the moment that's what was happening and I was panicking like for real melting down thinking that everybody was gonna die because they were driving backwards like it doesn't make sense yeah when I first started medication for bipolar disorder I had hallucinations because I mean anytime you start like an antipsychotic Mm-hmm. It's going to take time for your body to get used to it, but I had never experienced anything that strong before. Yeah. And so that's the only frame of reference I have. I'm like, if I came off of that medication, <laughs> what would that be like? Because it was terrifying and it, you very much were not in control. And so I wonder if like what you said, if that's what they mean that she just was completely out of touch with reality I would think that that's most likely what they're referring to because like if she was under medicating herself or like either accidentally or on purpose, they said that she still had medication left. So I don't know if it was one of those, I'm going to take less of it to ration out the amount that I have left sort of situation thinking that would be fine. People it's not a fine, like talk to your mess with your dosage, talk to your doctor before you start messing with your dosage. Um, but I'm wondering if that was the sort of situation where she just wasn't taking what she needed to take or wasn't taking enough of what she needed to take and could not completely comprehend what was happening like around her, especially with being by herself out in the world. Yeah. She might've really been trying to hide, but not from anything real anybody could see or hear yeah so and once you get into a tank like that and you can only swim for so long and you can't get out of it then you're probably going to drown and that's just logically probably what happened but yeah that's the last one I have but I wanted to ask before we end this podcast what are some of your favorite urban legends there is one that I wanted to really cover, but I want to just have an entire episode on it, which is the Goat Man. Goat Man! Yes. I've um, heard of this. I know that we are not supposed to go out to the train tracks, and I have absolutely no intention of doing that because I do not like trying to fall off of high bridges and you are terrified of heights and I would not put you in that situation, but I would love to interview some of the people that live around that area to see what their experiences were, maybe go out in that area, not necessarily on the train tracks, but um, see what that's all about. Where is it located? Um, I believe that it's like maybe Bardstown or something. Oh, I can't exactly remember. Everything happens in Bardstown. If you like creepy stuff, don't go to Louisville, you all. Go to Bardstown if you visit Kentucky because it has the most creepy and true crime crap going on there of any tiny town I've ever seen. Um, it is the Pope Lick. The Pope Lake? Is that a town? It's outside of uh, Louisville. Pope Lake, Kentucky. Huh. 
Popelet Creek in Fisherville neighborhood of Louisville, Kentucky. And these pictures are absolutely just ridiculous. <laughs> That's so cute. I'll have to send that to you later. Okay. <laughs> What's the basic idea of the goat man? There is some sort of creature that when you go out onto this bridge that's like a million feet off of the ground it's a train track bridge not for pedestrians please do not go out there i cannot stress this enough it is private property you will get arrested or you might actually die you might get shot that's always a possibility in kentucky but they say that there is a goat human possibly sheep hybrid creature that lures people out to their death (laughs) Oh so, my gosh. yeah, I like it. <laughs> I definitely want to explore that. So maybe we can um, just do an episode about that. And I want you to look at this picture when you get a second, because it's adorable. How could oh, you be scared of that? We'll definitely post this to our social media. He's so cute. This he is the reason like why cute. we would both die because we'd be like, oh, he's so cute. Like, what you cute? What you cute? Are you a baby? Come here. <laughs> We've got carrots and apples. Okay, so what are your what are some of your favorites? I've got a couple. My first one, I loved when this was happening on the internet. And both of mine are more internet urban legends. The clowns, like you would drive, you'd be driving and you would see a clown in the distance and you'd be like, what What the hell is that? What is that? Is that a clown? I can't really see. And then it would start chasing you and you would have to like reverse the F out of there. I loved it when that was going around on the internet. And I know that they were all fake. But just the thought that there are these clowns in random rural places that are just hanging out and following people around really freaked me out. And I liked it. Well, you know how many times I've tried to join and run away with the circus. So this is just right up my alley. I can't <laughs> wait for that. You would be running towards the clown. The clown would be Take me years. with you. <laughs> Those are really cool. I hope those videos make a resurgence because they became really interesting and creative. The other one that I like that's kind of an older um, internet urban legend is the Black Eyed Children. Oh dear. That one is really creepy. I think we should do a whole episode on the Black Eyed Children and things of that nature. There have been many, many movies made about them and many stories passed around. They're kind of like Slenderman to me, where you're like, what is your purpose and what do you want? And we don't really have any idea, but we know that if you get caught by them, that you are going to disappear. And we're assuming it's not to (laughs) fairyland or to something bad. No, it's a totally 100%. Like they just want new parents and then you you get trapped being oh a stay God. at home parent with these <laughs> black eyed children that want nothing but to stare at you all day without saying anything. 
I had not thought of that. <laughs> Trap you into parenthood. You thought you'd be single and childless forever. Gotcha, bitch. Well, it sounds like we have some interesting topics to cover here in the future. Yes. See what comes up in October, the spookiest of all months. And so we have an entire list of episodes that we're going to be rolling out all October of some of our spookiest topics. So make sure that you listen up for us every Wednesday. Uh, we'll release everything at 12 a.m. And All right. again, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Curse Cafe and on Twitter at Curse Cafe Pod. And leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. I don't know if we're there yet, but if we are, totally do that because it's the nice thing to do. Um, and if you want to email us or me, uh, burr at thecursecafe.com. And that's B E R. Yep. Send us your stories. We'd love to hear them, especially if you've had any kind of interaction with urban legends of your own that you'd like to share with us. But thank you for joining us today. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.